Good morning, everyone. How are you? You good? Everyone well? Ready for the spring to be alive and, and well in your hearts? I love it. I love, I love the extra time to just hang outside and enjoy the, the beautiful weather. We got a tra- another tractor, and uh, my son, who's two years old, has loved to just ride around on that tractor. We, in two days, we put eight hours on that tractor, and I'm telling you, as long as he's awake, we have to be on that tractor. He, he knows how to operate the front-end loader. He gets in my lap, and he, 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 at first, before he gets into my lap, he puts my, feet, my foot on the clutch and my other foot on the brake. He, he demands that I have my feet there, and then he wants to start it. He wants to turn it on. He wants to lift up the bucket so that we can go, and then he will say, go, 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 and then we'll go until he says, dai, dai, stop, stop. And then he wants to put the bucket down, and then he gets down, and then he gets in the bucket. He says, up, up, and then he says, go, go. And so then I ride around, drive him around for a little while, and while he's in the bucket, and I can see his little head just kind of looking around, looking at nature, enjoying the, enjoying the beautiful flowers that are coming out, and the lake, and everything else that he gets to see. And then when he's done with that, he'll get out of the bucket, he'll get up on the bucket and say, daddy, stop, stop, down. And so I put the bucket down, he gets out and he comes back up and it's just the same routine over and over for the next four hours. And then it's nap time, sleeps for two hours and then we go another four hours, you know. So it's a lot of fun though. I'm so glad he enjoys tractors. And every day he wants to wake up at 4.30 or 5 a.m. and look at tractors on his little iPad or his little, little Kindle. I'm like, this dude loves tractors. This is my man right here. This is, this is a good son, right? I love it. I love it. Well, uh, so that's, that's, I'm enjoying spring. I'm enjoying spring. I'm enjoying uh, this, this message series as well, Keys of the Heart, and I've enjoyed uh, navigating through that, and it's taken some time because of our freeze that we had, and uh, you know, it's Vision Sunday that we had last weekend, and, and so here we are. We, we, we've arrived, and this is the last message of this series, but uh, I, I, I thought, and I dare to say, don't want to say it's the final nail to the coffin. I really want to say it might be the, 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 uh, the little shim or whatever that pries open the coffin of your marriage, you know, kind of resurrecting your marriage out of death and back to life. And so I don't know which way to go with that, but hopefully it's, it's a resurrecting, putting that little um, pry bar in, in the coffin of your marriage and just let's resurrect that thing today. And so we've talked about the key of priority, meaning you, once you get married, your spouse is that from that point of I do's, on that that spouse, your spouse is priority. So only only thing that only person that has priority over your spouse is God Himself. And so, uh, no parent, uh, no job, no ministry, no uh, no anything, no children do not have priority over your marriage. That'll save a lot of your marriages right there. And so the priority goes to your spouse. And then we talked about the key of pursuit. And then I used the acrostic of serve and talked about the servant rules, meaning the person who's, who's serving, continually serving the other person is oftentimes the most happy person in the marriage. And, the, uh, and then there's this other aspect, and it's not always the case in every marriage. Sometimes there is one that just serves more than the other. In fact, but rather a healthy marriage, a strong marriage, one that's, that's blessed, it should be two servants serving one another, giving their life away and, and dying to their, their selves and their flesh to serve one another. But sometimes there's the dominance factor. And we talked about that, how sometimes there's that one party that just wants to dominate the other and for their own well-being. 
And that comes through many avenues and many approaches. And so we discussed that. You can, see, you can hear all of these on uh, social media as Braley talked about during the announcements. But then we went to third key was key of partnership. God has put you and your spouse together or the spouse that you are going to marry if you're in the process. And the one day you may marry is putting you together for a purpose. And it's the responsibility of the two spouses to humbly come together, submitting one to another and unto the Lord so that you together can discover the purpose that God has set out for you and placed you together for. Now, one of those is, is, is it's found in Genesis, and he says for us to have dominion. There's a domain, an area of life that, that God wants you and your spouse to really thrive in, to take authority in, to really pursue and go after him as you're pursuing one another in that endeavor. Well, that's one. The other is, is be fruitful and multiply. Well, that looks like you having kids, or it could look like you reproducing, meaning giving away the, the skills, the talents, the abilities that God has given you into others. It could be you have gone through a, a difficult season as a married couple, and now because of God's grace, you navigate it in and through that and out of that. Now you have that wisdom to give away to another younger couple or even an older couple that is going through a struggling time. Struggles in a marriage have no age to them. <laughs> They pop up all the time, and they need people to come alongside them. People, spouses need people to come alongside them lovingly to help them navigate through their struggles, their principles, their problems, and in, in, in putting back biblical principles in those places. So partnership. Well, today we're call, talking about the key of purity, the key of purity. And so uh, we see this. We found all of these principles in Genesis 2, 24, and 25, but this one specifically is in is Genesis 2, 25. It says, and Adam, and Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This word naked is aram, which really means exposed. They were exposed before one another, and there was no shame. So God created marriage to be the most intimate relationship on earth. Now, intimacy is only possible whenever two people, there are people, uh, two, that they have unhindered access towards one another, meaning there is no other access to my spouse, there is no, another, no other access to me, our, our access is unhindered, and it's unhindered because we are completely vulnerable to one another, and we are creating a safe place for one another. We're choosing individually to be a safe place for our spouse because we need our marriage to be safe. That is, whenever it is intimate, you find that. It has to be unhindered access. And so the nakedness that Adam and Eve had was mental, it was emotional, it was spiritual, it was relational, it was physical. I don't believe it was a pornographic type uh, openness, a, a disclosure or exposure or, or nakedness. Though they may have been, I believe God's glory covered them in such a way, and they, had, they were so pure at heart and at mind. Remember, there was no shame. There was no sin. There was no fear. There was no guilt. There was no condemnation. There was just purity. And so, uh, not, uh, so, so Adam and Eve were able to open their thoughts, their feelings, their emotions, their dreams, and bodies to each other without feeling any shame whatsoever. And because of that, they could have intimacy. And that was true until sin came in the garden. And when sin entered in, so did shame, and immediately they began to hide themselves from one another and from God. 
When you are not safe for me, I have to self-protect. You are, when you are sinning against me with words and with actions, remember, when God confronted Adam, Adam's response was, it was the woman that you gave me. Not only did he blame Eve, but he was blaming God. Well, it was fine until you gave me this woman. How dare you interrupt my relationship with you, God? And then God goes to Eve and says, hey, what's up? Why did you do this? And Eve's like, well, it, the devil made me do it. So you have two people unwilling to take responsibility for their actions. Neither person were willing to keep and maintain the intimacy. And when two people are not responsible for their actions, intimacy no longer exists. They couldn't trust one another. And many things begin to happen when two people can no longer trust one another in fidelity. They start looking outward. They start looking at new spaces. They start, instead of shopping in this store, they go and see, well, what's in the neighbor's store? Instead of, instead of being here and, and, and private and being invested all in right here, I can't go anywhere else, and so I'm going to have to work it out in this space. They're wondering what's on Amazon today. And it ain't Amazon. Now, I don't want to talk to you about purity because you can only be intimate in a careful environment. And when you fell in love with your spouse or the, the spouse you will one day fall in love with or the spouse that you are too soon to have and are, have fallen in love with, there was a time when you were very careful to bring about your best self, your, 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 your best you. You were very careful to be, uh, to be pleasing. You were very careful to be safe. You were very careful to be a place where they could share their emotions and their thoughts and, and their, their doubts and their worries, their hurts and their fears, and they never felt rejected. So they felt safe enough to open up their lives, expose their inner selves to you so that you could create a trust bond that would be eternal. And one day, it opened up to a physical relationship, hopefully once you got married. And you and your spouse fell in love because you were careful. Well, when Allie and I got together, we, we dated, we, we met, and uh, we didn't know each other. We, we, we met in Honduras in the mission field, and we talked, and then we didn't talk for a, quite a while. We, we talked about getting together. We talked about going on a date, and I was like, oh, no, I'm not ready for that. And then a few months later, we, we went on a date, went to a coffee shop, and I, I saw our pretty little hand on the table, and I just reached over there, and I, I grabbed it, and I saw that sparkle in her eye, and she said, does this mean you're not going to hold any other little Honduran girl's hand? And I said, yes, that's, who, that's what that means. <laughs> so sweet, so precious. She was so precious. Well, we hung out a lot, and in fact, some of our family would travel with me, and I would go around the country uh, preaching and teaching, and they would uh, sometimes translate for me and help me out on, on that aspect uh, whenever I was not able to have, didn't have the language. And so uh, we, were, we were on her parents' couch one day. Her parents were, were there, and we were watching TV, some American show. I'm not sure what it was. They, it's typical to watch American TV in, in English. That's how many of them learn English. And so there we were on the couch watching something, here's my take, watching something on the television. And it prompted this next statement that I'm about to say. I told her, and remember, I was, I was you know, young, single, 
you know, just didn't quite think it all through. I said, I would never date a girl with a mustache. <laughs> now, her take was, I was petting her and then all of a sudden started petting her mustache and said, I would never date a girl with a mustache. What happened for the next 30 to 45 minutes should have been a red flag of, uh, Nathan, you need to hold back. I saw, how to word this, let me just say, I saw some things that even after we got married manifested for about a year, and we, we talk about that openly, jokingly. I asked her permission last night if I could share this. And so, you know, sometimes you say, well, that's a red flag. Well, uh, yeah. It, it, it should have been. However, I would, I would miss this beautiful life that I have now with her and these two beautiful kids if I'd have just acted upon emotion. But we, we got to the place where we said, I'm, I'm so sorry, I'm forget, please forgive me, that's not what I said. We argued for a while of here's what I said, here's what you didn't say, here's what you said, here's what you said, here's, what you said, here's my intake. You know, how, you know how Satan likes to get in and kind of manipulate the, what was said and kind of change up the word form and, and you know, add some words in to make it sound better. And I mean, that just happens. I don't know if it happened for you. It happens for us from time to time. And so there we were. We finally got to this place where, hey, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Well, I mean, till, to this day, we have an indifference on that, how that story worked out, but we don't fight over it. We laugh about it instead. So it's not really about what actually took place as much as it was about the relationship. And so sometimes in a disagreement, you will be right but the right thing to do is to apologize anyway, is actually to ask for forgiveness anyway. Because for as long as you're attempting and your desire is to be right, you're actually becoming even more wrong. So in your, your desire to be right and in your wanting to be right, you're actually becoming unrighteous. Because you're putting your, your desire, your place, your stance, of being right on the throne and you're saying, this relationship is not important enough for me to say, hey, you know what? I'm sorry for my part, would you please forgive me? So we had to navigate through a little bit of that. But responsible people take responsibility for their actions. And if you don't take responsibility, you will begin to fall out of love. And then all of a sudden, there's nothing left to say. And there's no feeling. And remember, this is where people say, well, we just fell out of love. And here's where I say, love is not an emotion, it's a choice. And when times are tough and you've gone through a difficult season and you haven't processed the, the, the relationship the way that the word of God says and that feeling of, oh, it's just rainbows and butterflies and I just can't wait to wake up and spend time with them tomorrow. And when that's gone, there lies the choice. The choice to say, I don't feel it maybe, but I'm doing it. I don't make, maybe I don't feel in my heart, but I'm going to say it. And I'm going to do my best to mean it because choices lead and emotions follow. You can write that down. You can put it on Instagram. You can put it on Facebook. You can put it on your, your billboard, your, your, your wall. Your Choices lead. Emotions, feelings follow. And if you don't take responsibility, you begin to fall out of love. And when you begin to say and do things that are, that are careless and hurtful, then I can't share anything with you because I am now afraid that anything I share with you in a vulnerable, in a, in a moment of hurt, in a moment, a moment of my emotions are kind of out of whack, my feelings are feeling this, and I share that with you, if I, have, if I feel that 
It is unsafe to do so because you may come around one day and accuse me and attack me or use that against me. Well, then this isn't a safe place. And I'm not being careful to take care of this relationship. I'm not being careful to take care of your heart. I'm not safe. You're not safe. So if I can't speak vulnerably, openly, and honestly, and and share, and get the emotions out and the thoughts, then that's a place where I need to start leaning in and become a little bit more careful about what I feel and how I feel and why I feel it without being accusatory. I wanna talk to you today about anger and conflict resolution. Because if you're going to maintain intimacy and unity, then you're going to have to learn to resolve conflict and anger. Because let me tell you, it is out there. And it can't wait to grab a hold of something in your life. Look at it, let's look at Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. It says, be angry. It's okay, be angry. Be angry. And do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. So I'm gonna give you four steps to resolving conflicts in marriage, and this actually applies to every relationship that you have. Number one is confront in a loving and positive manner. This doesn't mean that you, you don't first process your emotions. Again, remember, be angry. Don't deny your, angry, your anger, be angry. Take some time, step aside, be angry about it. It's okay. It should be a, some kind of righteous anger at times, and sometimes it's just angry because I don't understand it and I'm frustrated and I didn't like it. Okay, process that. Become safe. In a healthy family environment, people are allowed to share their emotions. They're allowed to share what's going on in their hearts without being convicted, judged, or demeaned. That doesn't mean to act upon your emotions. Because once we, we act upon our emotions, it's hard to take those words back. And oftentimes that causes even more hurts than we intended. And oftentimes it takes the relationship, the argument, the indifference to a place that it's no longer about what the issue began at. Now it's about us being who somebody's going to be right. Now it's the competition of unrighteousness. It never means it's okay to attack and accuse. It means we must be willing and able to discuss conflict and difficult issues, expressing our feelings all the while believing the best in the other person. Because of the trust and the intimacy, because, of, because I know there's God, surely they didn't mean this. I'm gonna believe the best in that other person as I approach them with the issue that, that is at hand, the indifference that we have in between us. As I go into that conversation that is ever so difficult to have because you don't know how it's going to end up, I'm going to go in with my words being graced upon I'm going to believe the best in the other person because I might be wrong. And by the way, anger, anger not dealt with properly causes uh, physical issues. It causes emotional issues. It causes relational issues for sure. It causes spiritual issues. There begins to become a distance from God himself. And oftentimes it causes financial struggles too. Proverbs 15.1 says this, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. In a, a family environment, we're able to share what's going on without there being an offense nor a defense. Don't just justify sin because you're angry. He says, and do not sin. 
Be angry, don't justify it, and don't let it lead to sin. Just because you feel someone has done something to you, that doesn't validate your sinful reaction or response back to them. You hurt me, I'm going to react, protect myself, I'm on the defense and now the offense, and now I do something that is hurtful back towards you. You are now just as wrong as the person who violated you. You are no longer the victim, you are actually the the persecutor. You are the one who is now the problem. And yet we cause more problems and defend ourselves and we call it righteousness. It's good. Just because you feel someone has done something to you, that does not validate that sinful attitude and behaviors back towards them. Research actually shows that in the first three minutes, what happens in the first three minutes of an argument, a discussion, a, a conversation, it actually sets the tone for what will happen through the duration of that conversation. The first three minutes. So tell, you tell your spouse, hey, I love you. I'm glad I married you. Did I say you look pretty today? Or you look, you look really strong today in that shirt? Seriously, I love you, and, and I'm glad we're married. And I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be hurtful, but there's something that is indifference. There's something that has taken place, and I really need to talk about it because it makes me feel this way. And so I'm leading with the fact that I'm not accusing you. I, here's how I feel in this situation. I even could be wrong. There's room for me being wrong. Because if there's no room for me being wrong, then I'm already trying to be right, and I'm already trying to win the battle, right? But we need to talk. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up even more anger. One of the two people involved are going to have to learn and decide, I'm going to keep a cool head, or I'm going to find a cool head in the midst of the conversation, because We are going to have to apply God's word and his truth. And if you can't do it because you're too hot-tempered, well, I'm going to have to be the one that brings this thing down. We make our poorest decisions when emotions are high and our words are unguarded. Right? You say things in the heat of an emotional moment that takes, it takes about 10 seconds to say it, but it takes about 10 to 30 days to overcome it. Sometimes it's undealt with for 10 years and it's still an indifference whenever you go and talk to a married couple about what they're really hanging on to. Oh, yeah. And husbands, you know, you'll be driving down the road from a date that was perfect. And then all of a sudden, can you remember when this, 10 years ago? We were in high school. That was my letter jacket. What do you mean? I don't know why she was wearing it. Please forgive me. But on the real, when those things start to come up and their offense and their their hurts and their and, and you've already processed through that, it's you know what I forgive. I forgive. We've already processed through that. I've already forgiven. He's already asked for forgiveness. She's already asked for forgiveness. I forgave. I forgive. And when it feels like that experience is happening again, but it really hasn't happened, I forgive. And when I'm reminded of what that situation was, and I remind myself, oh no, we, we forgave each other, I forgive. Then I forgive again. And I forgive again, and I forgive again, and I forgive again. And I choose not to bring it up continually, continually re- resurrecting the dead from the past into the future or the present. 
It's a choice. Number two, complain and don't criticize. There's a huge difference in the two. Criticize is about you. Complaining is more about me. You don't say, uh, you did this and that, and you never do this, and you always do that. In fact, take never and always out of your dictionary when it comes to any kind of conversation about another person. Because what you're saying is, I no longer validate everything that you did to cause this a safe place where I once exposed myself, but now I'm saying you never do this and you always do this. Well, that can't be true or you would have never exposed yourself and become open and, and transparent and vulnerable to that person. So always and never are never an option. That's the only time you can use it. Never use it. It creates hurt. It causes intimacy to go away. It, it messes with the purity of the marriage. And now because you say, I never, you're saying you didn't validate, you didn't appreciate when I actually did these things three years ago. Never. Well, did you ever see anything that I did? Well, you always think that way about me? So when you never and always somebody, you're pinning them to the wall and saying, good luck getting off that wall because I got you cornered now, and I choose to remember nothing else except for what you currently now and always, never and always do. How fair is that? How safe is that? How vulnerable are two people gonna be in a scenario like that? Complain and never criticize. You don't, you don't ask any questions to find clarity in the mishap or the misunderstanding. You just start attacking. You just start accusing. You just start picking. You just start pushing. You're not, you don't leave room to, maybe I misunderstood. Let me ask some more clarifying questions so that I can actually know what it is and why it is I am approaching what I'm about to approach. You just, you ever, you ever, you ever got that text? You didn't do this. Dang. I thought we left and everything was good when I left home. You never do this. Why didn't you do this? I can't believe you didn't. Goodness gracious. And you know the thing, bad thing about texts? It, don't matter, it doesn't matter if it's an emoji or not connected to it. You can't tell the emotions. You can't tell. And sometimes it's out of context. You can't tell what's going on. And the other person, you may be thinking, I don't know what. You may be just kindly saying something. And the other person feels extremely accused. Because it's coming across without any questions. It's straight accusation. There's no room to give that person some place to understand, to, to give understanding and to explain themselves. Nope, you've convicted. The judge and the jury have decided, and you're going to, you're going to pay the price until you ask for my forgiveness. Whew. Talking to some people in this house, huh? No one likes that. We hate it. We hate that one. Nobody likes to be accused by text or even in person. Nobody. nobody. Unappreciative for the things that they actually do, do, that, have done, rather. And, and that's not brought into credibility for the current situations. But complaining is, I want to tell you how I feel. Something happened between us, and I don't know. I don't know if I mistook it. I don't know if I took it wrong. But here's how I feel about that situation. That is giving room for that other person to explain what they meant what their, their approach was, and then also a place where say, I may be wrong, and it just may be just something that I'm thinking, but in the moment, I felt like this. It's not an always and never thing anymore. Complaining is that. Let me, let me give you two examples. Uh, let me give you for Allie and I. Allie, I say, Allie, uh, you said something to me that made me feel bad. 
Um, I think you're just trying to pay me back for something that I did yesterday. Now, that's, that's accusatory, right? And, and I'm not leaving any room. And that's not likely very, going to end very well. I've judged her character, and now I'm accusing her. Or I could say, here's a better option, but if I say, Allie, I, can I talk to you about something? When I left for school to take the kids to school this morning, you said something, and it made me feel this way, but I'm not really sure if that's left over from something yesterday that I did, but I'm no, I don't think I did anything this morning that validated that, that response or that comment. So what I'm doing is saying, hey, I, I could be wrong, but here's how I felt. Something did actually take place. I don't know if you remember it or not, but I do enough that it caused me to feel this way. But again, I might be wrong. There's a huge difference in that. One is saying, hey, I'm kind of complaining. I'm not criticizing. I'm kind of complaining because my, my heart's hurt right now. The purity that we've established in our relationship is hindered, but there's an indifference there, but I, but I could be wrong. I could be wrong. And by the way, it, it works in friendships too. And this is why we're so adamant about freedom in our own lives. We are dealing with each other's, other people's past as much as we are dealing with the current situation. You get it? Because sometimes I go into a moment like that and it reminds me of something that happened in the past and so I bring the past into the present and I think, well, this is just like when she did this and we already navigated through this but I'm still carrying the hurt from it and so in this moment, here's how it felt and she has no clue what's going on in my heart and I'm thinking, I'm resurrecting the dead and I'm thinking about the past. And there's people... Most people have no idea that they're still wrestling with things in the past, and when a moment or an experience that's in the present, the current, happens, it sparks a hurt, an emotion that is left unhealed from the past, and it's brought into this current situation, and when that happens, there's emotions flying, there's words that get really rampant, and all of a sudden, you're not dealing with the person in the present, you're actually talking to someone in the past who's still trying to navigate through their hurts, and they're bringing it into the moment, and they finally have somebody to talk it out with really good and emotionally intelligent people will see that and say whoa not like that inside say okay this person needs to talk my spouse needs to talk my friend needs to talk this person at the grocery store needs to talk this isn't about me this is no longer an attack on me but this is a moment to create even more purity, more intimacy, more security, and even greater safe place in this re relationship or this marriage, and I'm willing to do it. Because oftentimes when you start dealing with something that doesn't make any sense, you're not dealing with the thing that's at hand. You're dealing with pa people's past hurts. And in relationships, we've got a lot of past hurts. Number three, listen to your spouse and believe them. Believe them. Says don't don't remember the verse Ephesians 4 says, Don't go to bed on your anger. Don't let the sun go down. Believe the best in the other person. Meaning, I don't I don't know what you're going through, but I'm gonna believe the best. I'm gonna believe that you didn't mean that. I don't believe I'm gonna believe that that wasn't the actual take. That I'm gonna believe that that wasn't your intention to hurt me. I'm gonna believe that there is a, a misunderstanding and Satan is at work and I'm going to choose not to take his bait and I'm not going to put it on you. I'm not going to accuse you back. I'm not going to get defensive. I'm not going to get offensive. I'm going to say, hey, okay, 
I'm going to believe the best in you while I address what was said before I took the kids to school while I'm going to leave space for me being wrong. You go to bed on your anger, you will wake up believing things that are wrong. And when the other person begins to say something that goes against your beliefs because you've been hearing from the whisperer all night long in your hurt, and then the next day, because you wouldn't handle it that night, you try to address it the next day, and now your beliefs are distorted because you were listening to the accuser all night long and his interpretation of what actually took place. And no, now there's somebody who's bringing the facts and the truth in a humble way, and there you are bringing a completely different experience, interpretation of the experience, and now your beliefs are completely abstract and off from what actually took place. And now we got somebody who's tormented, bringing the accuser's voice and interpretation into a place of purity and intimacy and safety. All because I was unwilling to forgive and release before I went to bed. And Satan is an expert at manipulating facts that have no truth to them. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 says this, love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy, love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, does not say I'm celebrating, does not fall continually, does not make exceptions for its sinful manners. It's sinful desires. Does not say, hey, well, God just made me that way, or here's just my attitude, or this is my character, this is who I am. You can accept me or don't. Iniquity. It's a bent in which through generations, your natural flesh character chooses to go that way. It desires to go that way. No, it's not. We're not going to rejoice in that and defend ourselves. We're going to bring our character under the word of God but the truth rejoices in the truth. We're gonna choose God's word over our iniquities. Bears all things, believes the best, believes all things, hopes all things. Well, I hope, it didn't, I hope you didn't mean what you said. <laughs> Not like that. Endures all things. You know what? I'm willing to endure this conversation for the sake of the relationship because this relationship is that, most, is that important. Navigating through this, choosing to give forgiveness and ask for forgiveness is most important because this relationship is most important than all. Beyond being right, beyond having the last word, beyond getting in that one little, that one little line that I have to get in because I'm not listening to anything that you're saying, I am actually waiting for a gap so I can speak the things that I want you to hear before you're done. It's a hurt individual that must protect, speak out, and declare what's going on in their heart and that they have, has gone on in their heart before the other person can defend themselves, before the other person can finish what they have to say. And oftentimes, here's what you'll find, is you'll give somebody, if you do that, you'll give somebody enough space to create the story and then, because you've jumped in before they finish their story, the context in which you made your choice, your, your words, you chose your words on, are completely out of context of what the full story that individual is trying to paint. 
and you didn't give them a chance to speak. So now we're not arguing about the context and the truth of what really happened. Now we're arguing about your interpretation of a little bit of the, of the story because you had, to, you had to jump in. You see what I'm saying? Anybody ever done that? Pastor Nathan's the only one. There's three other people back there. <laughs> so if you're going to complain to your spouse, you begin sweetly. You don't attack. You share your understanding of the experience, and then you listen. You just listen. And then you look to see, okay, here's where we're off. And then you don't try to defend your character. You don't have to defend yourself. You just realize we're off in our story here. And your interpretation is this. And my interpretation is this. And if we're willing to stand on that and create division, cause division, they're not, we're not really concerned about the relationship. But if we're willing to say, you know what? I can see how we got off. I'm so sorry. Would you please forgive me? I was wrong. It disarms the battle. It disarms the enemy. It disarms the fuel. It disarms the fire. And it says, you know what? Restoration and relationship is way more important than this thing. And then God can move in the situation. Oftentimes, whenever you confront the situation, you will find that many things have happened unintentionally. I was, on the way to school. I was on the way to take the kids to school. You said this. It made me feel this. Well, I don't even remember saying that. I didn't mean any of that. A lot of times, it's just a flippant conversation or a flippant word or it's a misunderstanding because you had something else in your mind and they said this and boom, the enemy had a little door to, to open up and speak. Happens all the time, especially now through email and text and social media. So have a little grace. Be a little patient. Realize, you know what? I may not be, it may be I'm wrong. It may be something that I'm dealing with. It may be my interpretation. Let me give some grace and allow some room, but let me, let me, let me, let me address it because I don't want to carry this, this illness in my heart. I don't want to carry this indifference in my heart. Number four, forgive and let it go. Don't give the devil sleeping quarters in your bedroom. Because if you don't forgive, the devil will be there on the hard surface, on the concrete by your bed. And he loves hard surfaces. He doesn't mind at all. He, he'll sit there and whisper from that place all night long. And you're thinking you're listening to some white noise. No, it's Satan's whispering. He's, he's messing up the conversation. He's messing up the relationship. He's laying on a bed of lies. And there we're just, we're just hmm, that sounds so good. That's right. I was completely righteous in that. I can't believe he ever thought that I said anything like that. Yeah, can't wait till the morning. Yeah, he's going to get it. Oh, yeah. Can you believe what she said to you? He's on both sides. Can you believe what she said about you, how she talked to you, the, the tone that she had, the, the, the body language that she had? Can you, tell, can you believe she did that to you? I, I wouldn't let anybody do that to me. I certainly wouldn't let my wife do that to me. Can you believe that? She dishonored you. She didn't respect you. She certainly doesn't care about your needs. She's, she just wants her, her needs to be met. All night long. All night long. And two people wake up and they won't talk to each other. They may, they may have breakfast. They may not. One may go to work early because they have to be at work early. Yeah, right. You don't want to confront. You don't want to face it. You've been listening to the lies of the enemy all that long. And you're offended. You're hurt. You're wounded. And you don't want to do it God's way.
forgive and release. So let's say you've complained kindly to your spouse and your spouse won't communicate with you. You can still Satan-proof your heart before you go to bed. You take that, you know, they're like, the other person's like an owl, you know. Not, no, I'm not going to talk about anything. No, I'm going to sleep in the other room. <laughs> Bye. Get more, more bed to spread out on. I used to love it when Allie would say that. That's good. I'm <laughs> spread out. Slept so good last night. How's your back on the couch? <laughs> Please forgive me. <laughs> but you take that anger and you say, Lord, when such and such, so and so did such and such, it made me feel this. I was hurt. I was angry. I feel, I feel dishonored. I feel, I feel unsafe. I feel insecure. I feel, I feel I feel, and you verbalize that back to the Lord because what you're doing is you're saying, there's a hurt in my soul, but I'm getting all, getting all these emotions out of it so that they don't sit and they don't rest all night long. And these don't become my paradigm of thinking in which I see him or anybody else or her or anybody else. And I don't take this out on my kids the next morning because I am processing this thing. And I say, Lord, I forgive them. I forgive them. And Lord, would you forgive me for having a, a righteous stance? And Lord, as we sleep tonight, would you do a work in my heart and in their heart? But let's say, that's how you handle it if the other person won't communicate. You take care of your side of the street. But let's say, like Allie and I, I'm usually 90% wrong and she's usually 10% wrong. And so in our situation. And maybe that's like it in your household. Let's say someone is 90% and someone is 10%. What do you do? Well, let me tell you this. Being less wrong does not make you right. You're both wrong. You both repent to one another. And you both ask for forgiveness. And here's how you do it. I'm sorry for what I said. I'm sorry for what I did. I understand that it made you feel would you please forgive me? And you're laying it out there. You're doing your part. You're saying, by faith, I'm going to apply the word of God because this fight is not worth the relationship. Me being right in, this, in winning this battle is not worth it. Will you forgive me? And you're laying it out there. And you're asking them, would you pick that up? and receive my forgiveness. You get to let them decide if they want to forgive. You have left it, the ball in their court. And what you've done from there, what you do from there is you're free from it. It's settled. God blesses your decision. And in that place, God can now move upon their heart and he can apply grace to their heart and he can begin to do a work, changing their heart conditioning their mind and their heart to his will. And you fought the battle and created safety and purity back into that marriage so that you at least can be a safe place. I want to pray for you. Father, we thank you so much for marriage. We thank you for relationships. 
thank you that relationships are the most difficult experience on the face of the earth. But thank you that you've given us the ingredients, the recipe, the blueprint of life to be able to navigate every situation, every circumstance that we will ever ever face. There will be times, Holy Spirit, that we're in the midst of difficult situations. Would you prompt us to just pull back, to believe the best, to share our understanding, our feelings, our hurts, while leaving room to be wrong. Holy Spirit, would you help me, help us, to grasp a hold of this idea that we don't have to be right, but we want to be righteous in fulfilling your word of forgiveness. And there's going to be times where there's difficult conversations and, and confrontations that must take place because there's indifference in this world and, and we, we haven't quite navigated everything that we've gone through. And there's going to be people that are used to bring division. But Lord, we desire to bring glory to your name. And we're going to choose to lean in and restore one another with a spirit of gentleness. So Father, heal our hearts first so that we have the emotional capacity to lean in to the lives of others who are hurting, who are wounded, who are in unsafe places, who are far, far removed from security, who are hurting and wounded, in pain, self-protecting, defensive Help us to be safe places, Holy Spirit. And the authority that Jesus has given us, we bind every spirit of manipulation, every spirit of control, fear. We bind you in Jesus' name. We bind every Jezebel spirit that wants to rise up and tear down, every spirit of division, disunity, every spirit, every lying spirit we bind you in Jesus' name. We bind every adulterating spirit, every spirit of confusion, deaf and dumb spirit, we bind you and we cancel your assignment in Jesus' name. And we lose freedom, we lose purity, we release, we release safety, we release love, gentleness. Holy Spirit, we release your goodness into every marriage in this place. I pray this week that there is a safety renewed, that, that husband and wife come to one another and they find that place of disagreement and say, you know what? We've been set on this for years, decades. It's just not worth it. Will you please forgive me for what I've done? that safety and purity is restored in marriages, in relationships, in the body of Christ for your sake, for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.